Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is Brian Kazaska. And today's show, we have a very special guest, Maya from Twin Peaks Fanatic. How's it going, Maya? Hi, guys. Going good. So, this month is the 20th anniversary of David Lynch's Lost Highway that came out on February 21st, 1997. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when it came out. I was in high school, and I remember the soundtrack coming out and the soundtrack being awesome. I believe David Lynch directed the Nine Inch Nails video for Perfect Drug. Ah. That song blew up. The soundtrack blew up. And mm-hmm. because it was rated R, I, I wasn't 18 just yet. And, you know, I didn't see it in the theater and I didn't, I never got to see it at home video either up until just now. What about you guys? I didn't see it in the theater. I remember renting it on VHS, Hmm. probably, you know, sometimes six months or so after it came out. Yeah. And I think at first, (laughs) I was pretty young then, so I think at first, I wasn't sure how to wrap my mind around it. Right. And uh, I, you know, I always liked it. I liked the visuals of it, but Mm. I don't know that it made a lot of sense to me until maybe more recently when I've watched it. And I remember you came on to talk about Firewalk and Me that you were, you would hide the video. <laughs> were you hiding Lost Highway? Yes. Lost? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Firewalk with Me, I was really young, so I probably never should have seen that. But yeah. Lost Highway, I was a teenager, but yeah, it's a pretty... It's a pretty it's a wild movie. I think it it's is. probably like his sexiest movie, probably. But also, I think one of his coolest. Totally. Yeah. You know, the way it's stylized. Yeah, and so um, this is my favorite David Lynch film. Like, this is, I, I, I feel like this blasts me to say that I might like this more than Firewalk with Me, but it probably oh is my the God. top. It's a top film. <laughs> and I saw it in theaters the day it came out. And, like, mm-hmm. and you have to understand, like we said, th- this was his next film after Firewalk with Me. So, you I mean, to be yeah. a fan of David Lynch, and it was almost five years or so before he, after Firewalk with Me, Firewalk with Me was 92. Two, mm-hmm. and then we're now in '97 before he makes another film. So, wow. to me, this was like, oh, yeah. I gotta go see this. So, I think I saw probably the it might have been the first showing of Lost Highway. It blew my mind. I thought it was like incredible. I had to think a lot about it, but I loved mm-hmm. the film. And so, I was in college, and I would take the T, and I think it would take about 45 minutes to get to Boston. So, I would go into Boston, <laughs> I went and saw it. And then I went back to the college, and I had some friends that <laughs> that <laughs> evening said, "Hey, I'm gonna go see it." And I went and saw it again. again? So I think I know Brian. You you'll go see Star Wars several yeah. times in the day. Yeah, yeah. That is not common for me. I don't know if I've ever gone and seen the same movie in one day. I think the only movie I've ever seen twice in one day was The Village. I saw The Village three times in one weekend. M night there, huh? Yeah. yeah. I saw it like on a sat a Saturday and a Sunday matinee, and then I saw it again Sunday night. All with three different people. Wow. I just couldn't get enough. That is awesome. I like that. A lot, a lot of people don't like that. It's cool. I, that was my favorite movie by yeah. him. But yeah, it's weird. I've never seen a movie like in the same day other than that. Right. Like you did with Lost Highway. Yeah, that was like incredible to me. It was like I was pumped and I, I felt like I saw things mm-hmm. differently the second time around. And I think anybody, I think if you see this film again, you might look at it differently. Funny how secrets travel. I start to believe. It's weird. This is a movie I've always wanted to watch. Mm. And when we started this podcast, I'm like, ooh, I will finally get to watch Lost Highway. 
and you were like, you must wait till yes. we get there. <laughs> um, so that was almost a year and a half ago, yes. and we, we finally made it, and I'm very happy I waited. And I do believe that maybe, yeah, because I'm older, it, it would. It's, I think if I did see this as a teenager, like you, Maya, I, I would have had a hard time understanding it. Like, mm. just the maturity level is a little bit higher than it, my teenage mm-hmm. brain could have handled. But as an adult and watching it, and I'm like, oh my god, like couldn't stop thinking about it. The layers upon layers of different mm. weird things. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this movie had three parts to it. Not the traditional three-part part story arc, but this, like a three-part David Lynch arc in hmm. uh, Barry Gifford. Writer of Lost Highway. I'm seeing all these movies out of order. Yes. And a part of me really wishes I did see these in order. But to me, it feels like a callback to... Mulholland Drive, which in reality is not Mulholland Drive came Mulholland, later. Right. So, but to me, this is a more coherent Mulholland Drive, to me anyway. And it's funny because I mm. think a lot of people say Mulholland Drive, I mean, they're similar movies in some yeah, ways. Yeah, they are. A lot of people yeah. think Mulholland Drive is the more um, coherent? Well, coherent and more, it seems like, fully developed movie. To me, this is. Yeah. It's weird. I feel the same way. I like, yeah. I mean, actually, to me, this is more raw. But I like it that way, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I like it that it's it doesn't have to be easy to watch or easy to yeah. understand. I like that you really have to invest and think about it. I was never a Nine Inch Nails fan. I was yeah. never into Manson. What is it? Marilyn Manson. Manson. <laughs> yeah, not my style of music. I had, yeah. I think I had a girlfriend that would listen to that music. It wasn't my style, but I love the soundtrack. After, I think yeah. watching, the, watching yeah. the movie and the soundtrack, I bought the soundtrack right away. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Redner, I think, actually did produce mm-hmm. the whole thing, yeah. which is incredible. I mean, and I think it might have been his first soundtrack for a movie. I mean, he's gone on to do other things, but um, this was like. You know, this was a big thing. This movie does feel 90s. does kind of feel like it came from that era. Yeah. Because you have VHS mm-hmm. tapes. Right. You can't help that. The right. soundtrack, you know when these songs came out. <sighs> and you just kind of know this is the era. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's like a time capsule. What do you think it means, if Brian, curious, since you just thought for the first time? All right. What I think it means, like I said, I, it's a, to me, it's a three-part movie. I don't think mm-hmm. we hit reality until he's getting punched in the face. Sit out, killer! I didn't kill her. Tell me I didn't kill her. I think that's the first hint of reality for me. And it's like figuratively and literally, a reality punches him in the face and he wakes up. So that whole beginning part is him trying to remember the accounts that happened for him killing his wife. And he's almost telling that to the detective. And you learn he killed his wife, he is now detained by the police, and he's going to prison. And I think that, it to me, is the second act. It's the reality of it. And the first mm-hmm. act was the kind of his foggy memory of what happened. And he always likes to say, I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. Right. He doesn't like videotapes. So that's, and then the third act, him sitting in prison, trying to convince himself that it wasn't him or he, the way, you know, he didn't kill his wife out of, jealousy, this fantasy world that he was someone else trying to save her. But I think as that third act seeps, goes on, reality seeps in. Reality will always seep in. And I think um, (laughs) his fantasy gets ruined by reality by the end. Because the two bookmark pieces for me that stood out, and it's kind of weird, but it's interesting. In the beginning, the first act, you know, him and Renee, they have sex... And it's obviously horrible. You know, they, they're disconnected. <laughs> they're, he, he didn't perform very well. It's okay. It's okay. 
No, but he. They're di- <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 yeah, he had performance anxiety, but he's disconnected, yes. right? He's just, they're disconnected. Yeah. They're, they don't connect at all in any level right now. And then she pats him slowly on the back. It's okay. Then you go yeah. to the end of the movie. On the they have sex, and it's like his fantasy, probably how he would want to make love to her one last time. Mm-hmm. And it's like this faint, like uh, almost like uh, goodbye, like he wishes this could happen. Because mm-hmm. at this point, he's he's turned back into himself. He's not that that the not till it's over though. Not till the sex is over at the end. Yeah, he steps right. up and he's back to him. You're right. He says, you know, I want you, I want you, I want you. She goes, you'll never. I think that's reality seeping in. Mm-hmm. He will never mm-hmm. have her. Right. And that was like his last hurrah with her in a way in his mind. I think it's just a person who did something really horrible, which we'll talk about why. Well, I, I want to know what you guys think. And then um, the, the second half of the movie of this fantasy world about convincing himself he's not the bad guy and then uh, going to the chair. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. Fred Madison, jury having found you guilty of murder in the first degree, it is my order that you be put to death in the electric chair. The movie is just about someone coping with murdering someone. I kind of feel like the beginning is sort of reality, and they're sort of showing you that, you know, the, the trouble in his marriage, and that scene, which I think is kind of really almost really spooky where right when they come home from the party and she's in the bathroom, like taking off her makeup and Mm. then he goes down the dark, the dark hallway and he Mm. looks at himself in the mirror and she's calling for him and he never answers. Mm. Yeah. And then I kind of feel like that's the night he kills her. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Lynch Mm -hmm. was still obsessed with Twin Peaks. I feel like there's this red red drapes. Yeah, the red curtain, yeah. and then that mirror, and the idea that you know, in Twin Peaks, the mirror represents the evil. The other side is yeah, evil, yeah, so it's almost yeah. like he looks at right. his reflection, and now the evil is coming out. So he goes to prison, and he's going to be electrocuted. It kind of feels like it's the next day he's going to be electrocuted. Mm. Yeah, and he can't sleep, and the doctor at the hospital gives him a, a sedative. Sleep now. So I kind of feel like then he goes into that deep, almost like hallucinogenic dream state, kind of reinvents himself as like a younger guy who gets a lot of girls. And, you know, it's the whole thing where he's kind of like more virile and it's all in front of him and he gets to relive his relationship with Renee. But I agree with you. Like at first she seems kind of so exciting but then the reality of who she is sort of seeps in by the end and he sees that you know she's sort of this dark person with this dark past and i think then he he wakes up again and i think at the end the very very end when he's in the car i think that's like he's being electrocuted yes yes i agree yeah yeah. when he's he's driving away and he starts like freaking out. It looks like cops. he's about to change again. Like yeah, he's, he's being electrocuted. Oh he's, yeah, that's so, what wow. I, yeah. I think, boy, we've got to me now, and <laughs> I think I'm I'm in agreement with you guys. Yeah, with yeah. A lot of this. I think that's an interesting take, Brian. I never looked at it that the first part could be a dream. I always thought that that was his reality. Mm. No, it's, um, like I guess I'm not gonna say a dream. I'm gonna say it's him trying to remember and tell. Like I always picture him trying to tell the detectives what happened. Uh huh. And this is us seeing that, like how he remembers it. Right. Now, now, it could not be accurate. Yeah. A lot of it could just be his own fantasy because mm. he killed someone. He does say that line, I like to remember things how I see them. Say, like the three of us, we all met Mark Frost, mm-hmm. but we all have our own versions of how we met Mark Frost. All three of us will have different takes of how that day happened. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for him to tell the police what happened is like his own version of what happened. Right. And it's just a little bit off. Like, I don't really think, like, uh, for example, when they showed him on stage playing saxophone very crazily, mm-hmm. I think that's how he sees himself. I didn't get the impression that a saxophonist 
is going to be up there and you're going to have a bunch of young crowd just going crazy for him. I kind of feel like that was like a version of what he saw himself as. Yeah. But I don't feel mm-hmm. like that was because the camera and everything was very weird and dreamlike. And it was like this fantasy, like, I'm this cool saxophonist and everyone comes out <laughs> to see me. And it wasn't that great. Like, like people were like, it was like no. this alternative crowd. Like, yeah, it wasn't like, you know, Nirvana was playing. It was like a saxophonist. Yeah. I kind of felt like he's remembering these events, but almost in this fantasy world. It, to me, it is about this guy who is very jealous and insecure about himself. And mm-hmm. I think he might be thinking this is what his wife is doing and mm. you know he's he's doing he's doing the saxophone and he thinks that his wife is there with a guy in the crowd i mean i think he's yeah. he's just he, he, she doesn't want to go to the event because she wants to read a book and then he calls her and she doesn't mm. answer and she'll say she she was just sleeping, sleeping but yeah. and i love that it was it was in red it almost feels like there's blood or something that he's he's lit in red yeah and That's, i was even thinking about yeah. the saxophone some reason the saxophone made me think of almost choking in some ways. But it really is about this guy who's just obsessed and jealous and he doesn't trust his wife. And that's what I think this breakdown becomes where he, he you know, he can't trust her. And she, later on in the movie, we we learned that, oh, she could have been into pornography. And she said she did a job for a guy, but she never says what mm-hmm. the job is. And it doesn't have... And his he, imagination goes wild. Right. And, but, and where this right. goes really is that, like... I believe he does kill her. Yeah. And he then, I mean, we've already said this, but he then creates another younger version of himself. It's like, she didn't ever love me. Maybe if I was a different person, a younger person, yes. then I can mm-hmm. get her, I can make her love, love me. He, me. He, wants to, he wants to own her. He, Mr. Yeah. Eddie does hold a gun to Alice's head, and that's why she stripped. And she, in a way, she kind of became owned by Mr. Eddie. Mm. But it makes to me, mm-hmm. it's, it's all this whole idea of the obsession and, and having to have to have this woman. And I think in the end, we learn that, you know, you'll never have me, and then he realizes it doesn't matter how he changes himself, he, he, he'll never have this woman. Yeah, I mean, you can't own someone. Maya, you mentioned this, the, the sleeping pills. You say mm-hmm. he, he's having headaches and he can't sleep, yeah, and the doctor that. gives him sleeping pills. Yeah. And to me, he actually does fall asleep, and everything after this. Yeah. To me, this is like the opposite of a John Thorne theory yeah. about <laughs> Firewalk With Me. <laughs> Firewalk Me, the first 30 minutes is is a dream. Uh-huh. I feel like Lost Highway, the first 15 minutes is real stuff, and then the rest of the film, for the most part, yeah. is a dream. It's a dream. Yeah, it's a fantasy. Yeah. It's a fantasy. But yeah, so he yeah. goes, he falls asleep, and I feel like the rest of it is all played out. Up as until he gets fried. Right. And I love that, you know, they're in the garage, and the radio is on, and, and the saxophone playing. music yeah. is playing, yes. and he's getting a headache because reality is sinking in. What'd you change it for? I like that. As much as he wanted to escape the fact that he murdered someone, this fantasy, this fantasy of his escapism, reality is going to seep in. And it is. David Lynch, you watched the OJ trial. Like he was really, Uh, just like all of us were kind of obsessed during that time. I I think a lot of us were. OJ Simpson is now accused. He is formally charged with using a knife to kill his former wife and the male companion of his former wife, uh, leaving the two in a pool of blood outside the former wife's uh, condominium. And today, O.J. Simpson became a fugitive from justice in a double murder case. What you have here is a sort of classic situation in which the police have, if you want to put it this way, cornered a double murder suspect, but it's all on the road, it's all on the fly, on a Los Angeles freeway. I had had a fixation on O.J. Simpson, the trial, and I think uh, some of this uh, grew out of O.J. Simpson because here is a guy who, at least, you know, uh, I believe, you know, committed two murders and yet is able to go on uh, living and and speaking and you know doing and um, golfing things like this and so what is the mind to do uh, when it when you know after something like that after a, a you know a horrific murder 
and, and that experience, how does the mind protect itself from that knowledge and go on? And that's interesting to me. And the mind is interesting, you know, for sure. Huge, huge stories in the mind. But that's one thing. Um, and when we, Barry and I talked about that. How does the mind trick itself so that that can be put in a place where it no longer um, has that, you know, uh, horrific power and you go on living? And here's a sneak preview of our interview for next week with Barry Gifford. How much of the OJ trial influenced Lost Highway, like, do you think? Like, well, you have to ask David. Then. Okay, All of right. course. <laughs> yeah, because I definitely see similarities, and I think somebody, I don't know if David... David Lynch, thought, yeah, he mentions how uh, he was kind of obsessed with the OJ trial yeah. at the time. Well, I can, see, I can see the connection, but it didn't yeah. influence me in any way. What influenced you? What influenced me? That's a good question. I think it was really organic. It was an organic situation. And, and I know this is an abused and overworked term these days, organic. But it did just grow in this mm. sense because the screenplay really went through a number of changes in the sense that in the beginning, in fact, it was quite comedic. Mm. So we didn't really know where we were going to end up with it. But it took its own form. I mean, David had the story uh, that he had had in his mind for some time about someone receiving videotapes of their life and they mm. didn't know who was doing the videotapes like that. And so that was there, but that was rather vague, but interesting. Of course, we adopted that and integrated it into the film. But uh, we had a lot of ideas. Mm. You know, there were a lot of things. But, you know, I'll tell you something write something, it's uh, based on the characters. It's really, I let the characters take over. The mm, characters yeah. have lives of their own, and uh, I let them go through the paces, you know? Mm. And we follow them on, on their story. I don't start with ideas. Mm. I, I never do. No, Ben, you brought up the whole jealousy thing. I didn't even think about it that way. I was taking it literally. And was she in pornography, right? And they got married. And she stepped down from that. She didn't do it anymore. But he couldn't wrap his head around it. Even though he loved her. And she could have... She's like, no, I don't do that anymore. That was my old life. I thought maybe she really was in that. He just couldn't get over it. I don't think that, though. I, no. I feel, to me, it's kind of like he was like, he's trying to justify in his head why it's okay to murder this woman. Yeah, it's yeah, just like, yeah. you know, she was, she, she just messed around with everybody. Because I didn't even see it that way. Uh, but I like that theory more than mine. Maya, what was your initial reaction? What, like, what did she do? I do think that there is something nefarious about her, too. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like you kind of get this sense in the beginning that, there's dissatisfaction on both their parts in their mm, marriage. Yeah. And she does at the party when she's like with that Andy guy and she's kind of tipsy and she makes Fred go get her a drink and she's kind of like emasculating him in a way. Yeah. Um, mm. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that she was having an affair or that she mm. was, um, you know, into pornography, but I get the feeling like maybe she didn't love him as much as he loved her. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that there was, I, I think she was having an actual affair with Mr. Eddie Dick Laurent hmm. uh, because he does kill Dick Laurent. And I think in his mind, maybe he, like, it kind of seemed like when the end scene where he's with the mystery man and they finally shoot Dick Laurent. And, but beforehand he shows them the pornography and it's like a, almost like a snuff film or something. Yeah, I feel yeah. like he, in his mind, he was like the worst kind of pornographer and he was killing, maybe he wasn't really mm. um, that exaggerated, but in his fantasy world, he was like this awful person who kind of brought her into this world. And But I, I do think that she was partially questionable too. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, I, I do yeah. think that. It seems like pornography is, is handed to the viewer several times in this film. Yes, yeah, on yeah, VHS yeah. tapes. But, yeah, I mean, we, well, yes. we get the package, and then uh, Mr. Eddie is giving... Uh, yeah, I love his line. He gives him, he goes, he's like, it give you a boner. You want a porno? <laughs> it gives you a boner, kid. And he's just like, no. Yeah. And, and then at the, end of, at the end of the film... What do you guys want?
man sieht ihn um die Kirche schleichen. It's like a little TV yeah, and it's yeah, pornography, but, yeah. but it's like, but to me, it's kind of like, what do you guys want? We want pornography. I, I don't know. It was <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was very bizarre. And I think the most interesting line of dialogue came out of left field when they're driving around and some guy's tailgating them. So then he pulls them out and he's like, read your manual. Don't right. you know your man? And he's like, it was hilarious. Like, it was the yeah. most w- ridiculous scene, yeah. but it's the most memorable and it's so, so bizarre. Oh, yeah. So, so bizarre. It, it's slightly based on a true story, not really. But I believe that, that uh, David... It happened to you? No, it happened to me. <laughs> Every day. Every day. <laughs> Read your manual. David Lynch is, oh, in, no. the, David Lynch is in the car with uh, Angelo Badamente. Badamente. Yeah. And David Lynch got pissed off at a drive or something like that. I mean, he didn't go to the green, of course, of running him off the yeah, road. And yeah, stuff, yeah. But, but he, I think Angelo had mentioned that some at one point oh. in the interview that he saw Lynch get really pissed off. And I think he, he used that frustration that he experienced. You never know when like that. David yeah. Lynch will use his frustration and put it into a <laughs> film. Also, uh, David Lynch did mention how the idea of someone going to the intercom and saying... Dick. Morant is dead. That actually happened to him <laughs> when he was younger. They had an intercom. Oh. The house, there's an interview where he says the house is actually, they, they had to get a house that was somewhat resembled his house growing up. Someone did that. And I said, David, Dink Laurent is dead. And he said he couldn't look out the window because there was no windows facing out to the mm. driveway. So you couldn't see who it was. And he said to this day, he has no idea. But he thinks that the neighbor, there was a David who lived next door. Mm. It could have been for that person. Uh. And he said that w- is where that idea came from. Right. And he they brought uh. it to the, the movie. Because that's another wraparound. Yeah. We hear that in the beginning of the movie, but the voice is distorted. It's a different voice. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the mm-hmm. movie, it is um, at uh, Bill... Um, Bill Pullman's Fred. character, Fred, there, Fred, right? saying it to himself. Do you do you think that was him, him just warning himself? Like, what do you, what do you guys get out of that whole wraparound scene? I mean, yeah, it's 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 weird. I, my my brain still weird. can't figure it out because you hear it in the beginning, and then at the end, it's him t- trying to warn himself. So maybe it's just it's just like a subconscious warning saying. He's dead. You, right. You did it. Or I don't know, right? It's a, that, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. It could mean nothing. Right. I think the song, I'm Deranged, is very poignant because I think you have to consider the fact that Fred is not 100% stable. Yeah. Mm. And I think some of the what is inconsistent and even him remembering things in his own way is sort of his mental instability a little bit too. So... I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's probably distorted in the beginning to confuse you. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's what I thought, too. A lot of times they use the house as a representation of the person and stuff. And it's interesting, like, there's mm-hmm. a time where the, the cop is up on the roof and he's looking down through the glass. And I always feel like it's the police investigating the house. But really, it's almost like investigating Fred. Like, Fred is the house. Mm-hmm. Go back to Renee. In the beginning section, Renee, even though she's waking up first thing in the morning... She's wearing very kind of like sexy lingerie, like, you know, nightgown. Are you saying every woman don't do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it was weird. Yeah. And she's wearing high heels. Every morning she has high heels on and she cannot wa- wash off her makeup. And that's, <laughs> in, to me, that made me think this is how she looked before she died. And that's why he thinks about her that way. Or it just be his his mind that you you know you remember someone mm-hmm. they might wear a red shirt every day of their life they wear a blue shirt once in a while but you'll always remember that red shirt so for her those high heels and the makeup were her signature look maybe hmm. and in his mm-hmm. world that's what she looked like because she had she's a blonde in the beginning she wasn't though yes she wasn't a blonde she was brunette there, brunette right? but she had the high heels on in the makeup she couldn't wash up her. Her makeup. Hmm. So that was interesting. And I the notice the lack of detail in the house. Every time they cut to that beginning scene when they got the tape, it was a mm. wide, it was a corner shot from the room mm. and the furniture looked like crap. 
like the desk. Hey, watch it. I think David Lynch actually <laughs> uh, made some of that no, furniture. No, but I say like <laughs> the desk was melded into the wall. Like there was no definition. There was no detail. The TV was on like up two blocks. And these scenes were always the same. There weren't close scenes. There was always far, wide, mm. top. Same like the VHS. The VHS tapes were filmed from above. Hmm. There's a lot of above shots. Yeah. And when you go back to, when you get to the reality and you get to the fantasy world later on or the dream, we'll call it the dream, everything's movie-like. You know, it's the the single shots. You're not doing high wides anymore. Right. And it, it's more, ac- you have action and drama. and But that first half is very slow, wide, dark, um, dreary, um, weird. It's just odd. And, you know, I think the high heels and the makeup just says to me, like, that's how he remembers her. So she could be wearing different clothing, but she'll always have the makeup and high heels mm. because it's like this weird, the way she remember he re- he remembers her. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys noticed that. I thought it was weird. I'm like, yeah. why is she waking up every morning with high heels on? <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. I mean, what about the tapes? What do you guys think about the tapes? Where are the tapes from? Maybe we should introduce the mystery man into this. I know we briefly yeah. mentioned that, but they, yeah, he, but this will intro- de- definitely this the, the tapes mystery- and mystery man go together. Yeah. Definitely. So you know, we're at that par- party with uh, Renee. Fred goes to the bar, and all of a sudden, a guy with white face comes up, the mystery man, and starts talking with him. And he says, "We've met before, haven't we?" I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. It's like, you're where right now? <laughs> your house. house. And then he calls his house, and he's talking to the mystery man from his house while he's looking at the mystery man. Yeah. I, mean, I always feel like this is where he's making a pack with the devil. Like, he's letting the evil in, mm-hmm. I feel like. I feel like mm. he gets that call, he answers that call, and he's like, okay, I'm in your house. I agree. But at the same time, we also learn at the end the mystery man has a video camera, and he's and is filming stuff. I, I agree that the mystery man represents evil. Sort of like Bob, and mm. he welcomed the evil in. Yep. And the evil could have been in, could have came into the house through those tapes. That evil could have came in through his wife. And the oh, evil, don't blame it on the wife. No, no, no. Uh, hear me <laughs> out. Hear me out. I'm saying like she has a past. If the jealousy goes too strong, there's the resentment and hatred. And I think I'm not blaming her. But he couldn't deal with her uh-huh. for some reason, right. her past or what have you, his own insecurities, and he allowed that in. And I think, yeah, I think that's the moment where it's sort of like I'm welcoming this moment into me because this is right after that party scene where mm-hmm. she's she's like having a good time with the other guy and he's just kind of like – before that, she, she wouldn't even go see him uh, play. play and stuff like that. So it, it seems like yeah. there's a pattern of like she's just taking advantage of me. She doesn't appreciate me. Now she's asking me to get drinks for her and her friend. Friend. Yeah. And, and he's wearing – you know, he's all like a square. They're all like having a party. Like I'm wearing my little sweater and I don't want to <laughs> do anything and pout. You know, he seemed very like down and out where everybody's having a good time. So you can tell this is weighing on him. Yeah. You know? Maya, what do you think of the mystery man? I think the mystery man is a product of Fred's darkest parts of his subconscious. Mm. Um, Or you could even look at it as like um, his split personality, Mm. the evil part of his personality. Yeah, yeah. His evil double there. Doppelganger. Exactly. I feel like those scenes, those early scenes, we're seeing Fred struggle to hold on to reality mm. um, and struggling to like hold back this evil part of himself um, that's had making him, you know, ultimately going to kill people. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of think the videotape are his own subconscious showing him his actual memories, not the way he likes to remember them, mm. but yeah. what they actually are. That's a good point. So that's kind of, and I also kind of think that 
the cabin in the desert sort of represents like his soul in a way. Mm, but, wow, um, I don't know. I could be going a little too far there, but I kind of think, yes, like you said, you said you thought a house was sort of a symbol for uh, the person mm. or, and I kind of think the idea of the mystery man is not so much an actual physical entity like Bob sort of is, but I think it's actually just the worst of Fred. Yeah, and yeah, his, yeah. his struggles in his own mind. Uh, yeah, so, I'm okay. glad you brought up the uh, cabin because that's the one thing I had to like. I pushed that as- the cabin aside. I was like, "There's so much to unpack. I don't even want to know what the cabin's about." But <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you think about it, you always hear like the the home is your the soul. You know, you know that sort of thing. So I mean, it totally makes sense. It, and it's weird. It blows up. But it blows mm-hmm. back together. Mm. It's weird. And the mystery man walks out of it. This is weird how That's that right. works. Yeah. And she walks into what? it. At the very end, she walks into it. Right. I think basically says there's no Alice, but yeah. who are you? And I, I love the idea that like he the mystery man's asking, Who is Fred? Like who the yeah. fuck are you? I mean Yeah. But in a way that's like his his subconscious almost trying to tell himself, you know. Mm. Yeah. Look look at yourself, you know, and I it's really Actually, it's really brilliant. I really love it. You know, the um, the depth of it. His main characters are often struggling to come to terms with their inner turmoils. Diane certainly was in Mulholland Drive. I think Lost Highway is almost like the male perspective. Hmm. Of, and Mulholland Drive is the sort of the female perspective of the same kind of idea. Yeah. Person who went kind of nuts and killed their lover um, and is struggling yeah. in a dream to come to terms with that. So I really think they have like this wonderful symmetry, the two films. And I, I, I just watched it last night. So I kept thinking like, wow, this is so, there's so much like Mulholland Drive and mm. this, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard that, but I think that makes a lot of sense. The the, the male and female versions of the same story. I think yeah. I like that a lot. That's pretty, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, different times too. I mean, one, mm-hmm. you know, one taking place in Hollywood about, actresses and stuff like that and then you have someone who's in the music business and the porn pornography business i mean if that's the theory you go for or you don't but i mean you have this whole porn industry thing and then you have the whole movie industry and almost are like the same things you know <laughs> is Damon Lynch trying to say they're like the same thing uh, I don't know. you know so he becomes <laughs> he becomes pete a younger uh, a younger guy He's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he. They have to le- release him from jail because he doesn't belong in there. And that Gary Busey's in there, yeah, which was awesome. The father there. Yes. Yeah, I yes. know. And the coolest, the coolest parents, and they seem very supportive of him. Of and... course, they're the coolest parents because they're fantasy parents. <laughs> he could have killed someone, and they wouldn't have cared. <laughs> right. And clearly, he did. Yeah. They're like they, but you know what's interesting? They do bring up. They're like that night. You know, it's like the weird part that throws you for a loop. They go, you know. That night, we, and they're like, what happened? And they they start to tell him, mm. but they don't let it finish out. So it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like, they saw him freaking out. It's weird. Like, like I don't, he couldn't handle, he yeah. couldn't handle the truth right now. And he's got, a, he just wants to stay in this reality. And Yeah. And so they're like, we saw, like, they almost saw him fading away, like, back to the future. Like, he was just, he wasn't born, he's fading away. Yeah. And his fantasy parents are like, no, don't leave us. I love it. And then, and then Pete kind of, like, is, like, just hanging out outside. He's on a chair outside, just hanging around. And then he kind of, like, gets up and looks over to the, the fence to the other side of the yard. And there's this dog just hanging out in a little pool. I and mean, for some reason, it made me think of Blue Velvet at the beginning of the Blue Velvet, the where thing. the dog mm-hmm. is just running and getting the water and stuff. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, ah, oh, the calm. Yeah. The calm before the storm, before everything goes to shit. shit yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought of Blue Velvet, too, in that scene. Also, did you guys notice, like, when he first sees, um, I think it's now Alice, it was like a, that was like a music video, right? Yeah. He sees her magic slow motion. Magic moment. So different and so new Was like any other Until I met you And then it happened Is that Lou Reed's cover of this magic moment yeah. comes mm-hmm. on and she's in slow motion oh. and he kept... And it, 
this feels like a, a Hollywood movie. Right. Like, it's so fantasy-like. You have the car yeah. chase scene. You have action. You have right. suspense, drama, sex. You have it all. This is right. it. And <laughs> it felt like, yeah, we're watching an MTV uh, oh, yeah. hairband video. And she's but it's in like slow motion. You, you, you fell in love at first sight, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. She goes from a brunette. Now she's blonde. And she looks slightly different. And it's like this... It's like this op- polar opposite. And Lynch seems to have a thing with this, doesn't he? I mean, we have Laura and Maddie. Maddie. And then in the in the well, future, Mulholland Drive will have those characters with a blonde and a brunette. And it seems mm-hmm. like, I don't know, he seems to play with that a lot. Yeah. As I'm watching the film, I get to this point in the film, and I'm going, oh. Because I didn't really know what was going on just yet. And I was like, okay, now they're going to, like, give us a... A different take because I'm like, oh, I'm seeing different characters now. Is this mm. like a different version? Who is this? And they're, right, they're, yeah, Mr. Eddie is Dick. I don't know if we knew Mr. Eddie was Dick. Lamont. No, we didn't know, right? But, we don't know mm-hmm. that until later on. And we're seeing her or someone else. And like, I'm like, oh, is this gonna be like an alternate reality? Yeah, is this Lynch? And I didn't know what was going on. Can you guys remember this moment in the film, like seeing an M. Night Shyamalan movie where it was the <laughs> twist? But this point of the movie is like, it throws you for a loop. I was just on the ride. I was going out down that lost highway and just enjoying it. And I tried not mm-hmm. to think, I think I would get a headache if I lo- thought too hard about yeah, it. So at least yeah. at the first viewing, I was just kind of like, I'm just going <laughs> to take this all in. Especially with the way that soundtrack is, you just kind of, for me, it just washes all over me. I'm kind of like, oh, I yeah. love the music. It's It just feels good. And yeah, I'm not going to yeah. think too much about it. So. What about you, Maya? What, what this point in the movie? What were you thinking? I think the first time, and probably the second time, or maybe even the third time. I don't think I knew what was going yeah. going on exactly. <laughs> it, it, truth, truthfully, you know, um, yeah. I think there's. But it's funny, you know, when I watched it last night, it did make such sense to me. Mm. You know, as much as as much as sense as it could make, but it did. And I think sometimes uh, Lynch's films on the re- re- viewing, you see that. It's not as complicated as you think it is. Yeah. He sort of, you know, like he tricks you um, with the visuals and he confuses you, but he's taking you on a ride. But when you kind of start to see it, you know, like those pictures at the mall where you have to stare at them a long time yeah, before you yeah. finally see the thing. You know, I kind of think that's what a Lynch movie is like. Um, but once you see it, you realize, oh, he's kind of, been, you know, it's kind of always been there. And I think... Yeah. In that scene, uh, one of the early scenes at the mechanic shop, it's the cops who actually call Mr. Eddie Laurent. Yes. Uh, so they kind of tell you that that's Dick Laurent. Right. And I, I kind of feel like that's in Fred's dream world. It's almost like he does know on some level, like it's bleeding in. The truth is bleeding in. Mm. But he's still trying to stay in this fantasy place. Pete has that same experience that Fred did, that he goes into the darkness and he goes to a mirror as well. And I was just looking at that. But it's interesting mm-hmm. to see that he's having, he definitely is having similar experiences to Fred is yeah. having. And, mm-hmm. and, and I have to mention, those cops who follow Pete around in third half, in the third part of this movie, just see him have sex constantly. Oh. They're just like the <laughs> peeping perbs. Like, well, he's having sex again. Yeah. And they don't even know. Like, they're in a house. And they just know. They're just like, well. I'm like, man, these guys are a little weird. Right. Like, like, why? It's very odd. Oh. Very odd. But- well, I think it's kind of like, okay, so you see in the beginning that some some issues. Yeah. Performance issues, as you say. And then in his reinvented version of himself, he's a, he's a young guy and he <laughs> has no problems. And, you know, it's kind yeah. of like an ego boost in yeah. a way, you know. Yep. I could have sex um, with 20 women today. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know? uh, everybody wants him. And it, so it's kind of like a redemption of that, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Mind. He's like the best mechanic. All this, And he gets him in the car. They drive around. And he's just he's mm-hmm. he just tightens up. A little not like a, a bolt, and he's like, "Yeah, oh, it sounds beautiful. I love right. it." Like, and it's, I believe it's a woman car. <laughs> like, so Jack Nance is in this. He's like, "I really like that." It was the it was the sax uh, coming through the radio yes, there. Yes, yes. But mm-hmm. then, unfortunately, this is is Jack Nance's last film. Like he a few months before he yeah. even came out, before the film came out, uh, he, unexplained 
death. I mean, I think he was at a, I think he was at a liquor store and he got into a fight, but he was able to go home oh. and then he passed away at home and stuff. So that was really so that's that. like yeah. it's like two actors because this film also features Richard Pryor. Yes. And yes. I think this is like yes. one of la- Richard Pryor's last films. I think it is his last film, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Richard Pryor like he plays it so natural in this movie, uh, right? Yeah, he, right. He, yeah. It was really cool to see him. And when I saw the beginning credits. I'm like, Richard Pryor's in this? Right, right. What? That's cool. And I guess David Lynch, like, he would watch talk shows like Carson, and he would see him on on Carson, and that's how he gave him the idea. He's like, oh, I, I should get him into the into the movie and stuff. <laughs> wow. And I was wondering about Jack Nance because I was like, is this this must have been his last film? His last film. Wow. Didn't, he didn't. He yeah. didn't even make it to. Uh, the movie actually coming out, so he died wow. before that. Yeah, it's too bad. And there's a and I lot don't think of it people. did very well, right? Oh, this film did the film do well? I don't think it did do very well in no, the, in the even the popularity surrounding it. Like, I mean, people. I mean, my group of friends were. It was all a buzz. The budget was 15 million. The box office made 3.7 million. Mm. And I, it's, wow. it's, yeah, isn't that sad? I mean, that's yeah. really didn't make the money. I mean, this is North America. Yeah. I don't know how it did uh, in other countries. But you know what? With David Lynch, it's really not about the money it makes. It's just about. But we want to make more stuff. I mean, <laughs> and he has though. Yeah, how but, great yeah. is he's in an industry, a cutthroat industry, where he could continue making things. Inland Empire was his last film, and that oh, yes. was like shot on a potato cannon. You know, like <laughs> the quality wasn't that great, and obviously, you know, a string budget on that one. Well, Ben, I'm curious. Why is this your favorite lunch movie? Gosh, yeah. I mean, there's so so many. Lo- I think I love the mystery of it that there, it isn't as. It isn't quite clear. It's something about the script and the music and the cinematography yeah. and everything that just, it, they just nail it. It's all so good. And it's like, there isn't a point where I'm kind of like, oh, this is boring. It's like, bam, bam, bam. It's no. just, I don't know. It's just mm. so, so good. I just love it. I love going into this world and just getting lost in it. Lost Highway. Lost Highway. And yeah. the name. Let's talk about the name. Lynch and Barry were looking into figuring out what they wanted to do together. Yeah. And... Barry has a book called Night People, and there was a line mm-hmm. about there. I think there's a couple lines that made it into Lost Highway. One was about Lost Highway, ah. so they took that name Lost Highway from that novel and just made it the title. And I, th- I can't remember those son of a bitches or something about that line from Mr. Eddie mm-hmm. that they liked that was in the story. <laughs> and then they threw the rest of that out and made the original idea. But I, th- I think it's kind of cool that that they, they, he was able to collaborate with a, a, a writer, a, a novelist. And come up with some, you know, really cool stuff. Yeah, I think I had read that too. That he just liked that Lost Highway, and they kind of wrote the movie around the title. Which yeah, is pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Which usually, you, I think, you, I feel like usually you come up with a story, and then you say, "Let's come up with a name." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at Twin Peaks. Twin worked. Peaks still hadn't figured out their its name until, you know, yeah. sometime after. Hey, I mean, Star Wars Rogue One. That was one line. They made a whole movie out of that. <laughs> Maya had mentioned how it was on VHS. I think it almost took 10 years for then to become available on DVD. So we're talking yeah. like 2007 mm. or so. And then it still is not available on Blu-ray, at least in the U.S. In the U.K., yeah. there is a Blu-ray, um, but I- I'm afraid to buy it. There's a long story behind that one. <laughs> we did, but we bought uh, Wild at Heart yes. on Blu-ray, and it didn't. We it didn't get work. work. Oh. It's not sanctioned by Lynch, though. Okay, I so would like it to be sanctioned. by It's Lynch, not sanctioned, yeah. and so that means another you company. You guys should know now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you better get his demands approval. <laughs> yeah. Because this was a lot longer. I can't remember how long the the first uh, cut of this was, but it was definitely longer, and they edited it out. Maybe it was twenty minutes longer. I think it was about twenty minutes longer, and they wanted to keep it to two hours. This was Lynch. She wanted to keep it yeah. two hours, like, and so they yeah. cut out some stuff. And some of the stuff would be like, oh. Uh, Fred goes into court and there's a you know he's in actually court and the judge sentences him and you see like a camera which again makes me think of OJ there's a camera in the courtroom mm-hmm. watching him mm. uh, be sentenced to death and stuff could they could the whole camera stuff just be another metaphor of the time the OJ Simpson we had cameras in the courthouse we had cameras yes. everywhere <laughs> that could just be that reality seeping into this movie like the cameras got to be everywhere. We got to film. Like the cameras will know everything. Truth. Yeah, yes, the camera shows the truth more than you remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but there's another thing that I guess David Lynch actually was in the original cut. Like he actually was more attendant. 
So originally he had a part in this film as the morgue attendant. Oh. So if there, if we had seen the scene of maybe Renee in the morgue, you would have seen David Lynch. So there's no deleted scenes of this anywhere? I've never seen any wow. deleted scenes. No. Have you, no. Sad. So Maya, where does this fit in for you? Where, where I mean, do you like it? Do you think it's one of Lynch's best? Or I do. Yeah. I um, you know, watch watching it this time. I think I almost it almost bumped up a little bit for me uh, mm. in the in the rank because I I do think it's one of his best. Uh, yeah, one of my favorites too so right. far. Angel Bentimenti, we do we say that he did some of the music for this, which is beautiful. Yes, yes. This, he did mm-hmm. the saxophone. Did he? I think so. <laughs> the, the crazy saxophone. Uh, I mean, it's weird. I've never seen the film but I've listened to the soundtrack a million times. So I kind of mm-hmm. felt like an old friend was over. Hmm. I knew the yeah. soundtrack. I knew what I was getting into. I just didn't know visually what I was going to see. But, like, mm. it was weird. It was just like, oh, I know all the, you know, I've heard these songs a million times. I, You know, it was kind of cool like that. Yeah, felt yeah. like having an old friend over. I haven't seen forever. So that was kind of cool. And I, this is definitely one of my favorites from him. Firewalk with me in this. Yes, the top two, best. Two yeah. of my top yeah. two in Elephant Man and Right. Um Yeah. But I'm I'm excited for Racerhead. I think that's next on our that's dock. That's next on our list, yes. Oh, I've been dying. For, this is this one is I've been March. really excited yeah. to watch. I know. It's kinda of sad that we're we're coming to the end of the Lynch uh, films. We have a few more. Yeah. But you're getting to a Racerhead at the end when I it's know. his first one. But uh, that's just the way the But order when we're works. done, I can look at see I really like to see a progression of a director. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to see that now. I'm watching David Lynch movies like David Lynch's mind. <laughs> just everywhere, <laughs> just scattered. Everywhere. And I just got to figure it out the pieces. So You have to do it sometime. Rewatch them all in the order. I know. I will. If, I own them all now, yeah. so I should. Uh, yeah. And I'm rewatching Twin Peaks, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you are? Yes. Oh, it's good. Yeah. I just started yeah. rewatching Twin Peaks, and I was telling Ben, pilot episode, I was like, it's interesting that Audrey Horn is messing around at the concierge's uh, desk. And at the end of season two, that's what she, her job is. Right. She becomes that person. <laughs> she, she goes full circle. Yeah. I honestly like mature businesswoman Audrey. Because it's weird. Are you that, saying better? Are you saying... I you... like her. I like that version of her better. I mm. think her character is better. I think no the way. first episode, her character is just mischievous and it's all right and it's weird yeah. her hair grows i know how everything was filmed <laughs> but it's as a viewer you're like man one day passed and she grew like her hair like they were extensions i know <laughs> <laughs> and she matured in one day because of that first pilot episode she really didn't do much but dance around and tease the norwegians the second episode, she's having a mature conversation with, uh, I believe it's Cooper. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. and Is it a mature one? She's talking about her palms? Is that the, the episode? I know, but she's actually having... It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's actually talking, though. Well, I mean, like, the, the pilot episode, she doesn't oh, really yeah, yeah. do much of that. Well, she was never in the, she was never in the yeah. original script. I mean, David Lynch created Audrey Horn for her. Why are we even talking about Sharon the Fed? I know. But I like how... <laughs> Her character uh, went full circle. Yeah. It was like, wow, that, that's going to be her job in a couple, like in a month. Right. That's what she's going to be sin. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Every Sunday night I'm watching uh, Twin Peaks now just to that's get ready. Uh, one or two episodes a week I'm watching. So yeah. that's fun to rewatch. It is. Um, I'm, it's cool. It's so exciting, right? Yes. Very exciting. And Maya, how many times have you watched Twin Peaks? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, a lot. A lot. <laughs> uh, I, I usually I would binge watch them, you know, over the years, but I have been watching it very slowly. Like, so I've, it's weird. I've been watching it like one, one or two episodes a month since I've been doing this recapping thing. Yeah. Um, but nor before that, I probably would watch it once or twice a year and like a binge watch. So a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you did your second rewatch, so it's like, you know, uh-huh. Leland, uh-huh. You, you know, the killer or whatever. I'm watching mm-hmm. it, and I, you know, we know it's so hard. You know the history because of our, you know, Ben's telling me the behind the scenes stuff. But I'm watching it for the second, the second time, and mm-hmm. a part of me is like, oh my god, it's like he's pretending he doesn't know yes. who killed her. He's yeah. pretending, yeah. and to me, it it comes off as that. Granted, I know the actor didn't know, yes. but in my head, sure, it's like Lost Highway. I know the truth, but I'm perceiving it as something else. Yeah, that's it. Well, I kind of think, this is my theory, watching these missing pieces for the Blue 
Rose. Well, I just get the feeling, uh, and I don't know if I'm right, but I kind of get the feeling like in the new episodes, it's going to be either the new episodes are going to be a dream or it's going to turn out that part or all of Old Twin Peaks is somebody's dream. I don't know. You think the fans would be pissed off about that? I think that would be awful. I do. You know what? Maybe I'm wrong. I could be totally wrong. The series and the movie makes you sometimes think there could be dreams. I mean, there's. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been Laura Palmer's dream the whole time. But oh man, I feel like Mm that'd be such a cop out. No, it wouldn't. Here we go. Here we go. If David Lynch (laughs) rewatched the whole thing in season two, it ends with the finding who the killer is. And that whole dip and everything, the you know, little Nikki mm-hmm. and all that crap, that could be played off like that never happened. Like it, that was it, it a was dream. The gas leak uh, season. It's the gas <laughs> is a community. The gas leak season didn't happen. Didn't oh, happen. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a possibility. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold firm on it. I do think that when Jeffrey, Agent Jeffries, says we live inside a dream, that's a clue. I, I just mm-hmm. do, and I yeah. feel like you know, in Mulholland Drive, at one scene. Diane says, I'm in this dream place. Mm. And it's almost like right there she's telling you you're in you're in a dream. Right. I don't know. He's, I he mean, loves the dream motif. Does. I just feel like, yeah. What if we can have it both ways? I mean, we have Cooper from episode two where he has a dream and Laura Palmer's telling him who the killer is and you have the dwarf dancing. And then we actually get to the end of the series and he actually is physically in the red room and it seems mm-hmm. to me like that's the dream. And then we get to Firewalk with Me, where it seems like Cooper is in the red room, but he's also in Laura's dream saying, don't take the ring. So it's almost like mm-hmm. somehow somehow we're in a dream world, but at the same time we're in reality. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, we, it's going to be crazy. I mean, well, y- yeah, anything's possible, right? I hope not. For 25 years I've been, <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for this, and to tell me it's like, well... I mean, the, funny, the funny thing with any of this is, like, of course none of this is real, so why yeah. do I care if it was? But I think I'd be pretty upset if... Would if, you be upset, Ben, if at the end of season three, the, it go, fades to black, at the last episode, fades to black, and it fades up, and it's Bob Newhart in his bed, and he tells his wife <laughs> he had a dream. I had a dream about this town. Yeah, about this town, and I had it in. <laughs> And uh, Cooper came by? Yep. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> That'd be crazy. No. No. Oh, no. no. Um, I think oh, this wow. movie, it's so cool because people are still talking about it. I don't think it it doesn't seem dated other than the VHS thing. Because mm-hmm. maybe some mm-hmm. young people could watch it. But what's a VHS? Right. Uh, at some point, someone will would say that when they watch it. But, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel dated. Like, to me, I know when it came out. So, for me... For us, we have that in our head already, but I think people who watch it now for the first time, I feel like it's like a classic. You yeah. can watch this 10 years from now, and 20 years. And I feel like it's it was sort of underrated in its time, but it's kind of getting a appreciation now, and I'm happy for that, you know, because yeah. it's a really great movie. Yeah. yeah, so good. Definitely. And I think, Maya, you, really, you, you nailed it. You did have a lot of great things that you saw about the film. I really did. I mean, we all said it, too, that the whole, uh, the end of the movie, he is getting electrocuted. Like, it, when he goes to jail, they yeah. say that he is going to go to the chair, that he is going to get that. And that mm-hmm. feels to me like it yes. ends with him. And it looks like he's morphing, but at the same time, I think that he's screaming because he's being electrocuted. electrocuted so, yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's like, it's yes. almost like that you can't run any further. Like, you know, you're in your car and you're trying to chase, get away from the law and the law has finally caught you and you're going to, you know, pay for killing your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're, if you're on your, it's your last night of life, you know, you're wrestling with your conscience in mm. a way. I think it's kind of profound. It's pretty, pretty heavy, but I love it. It's funny you say that because I saw that in Mulholland Drive with um, Diane. I always thought that she kills herself, and as she's about to die, she's looking, she's flashing back on her life and saying, "Well, what if I was this, and maybe mm-hmm. I could have gotten the part?" And I feel like that was, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's true for this too. Maybe he's just about to be get, uh, executed, and he's looking back, saying, "Oh, if only I had been a younger man, she would have loved me." And yeah, yeah. yeah. I want, <laughs> I want to talk about that blue rose stuff that I've been seeing on Twitter. Uh- The Blue Rose Magazine is a lively, full-color publication that offers discussion, debate, news, and analysis about Twin Peaks, David Lynch and Mark Frost's fascinating series, Old and New. Every four months, The Blue Rose will examine Showtime's new season of Twin Peaks. 
It will also cover the original classic episodes and the feature film, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Expect essays that delve deep into Twin Peaks, interviews with cast and crew, reports on current Twin Peaks events, and a regular column about the music of Angelo Badalamente. Join co-editors Scott Ryan and John Thorne as they guide you through this singular, unforgettable work. Issue 1 presents an in-depth review of Mark Frost's new book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, a report on the UK Twin Peaks Festival, an interview with screenwriter Robert Engels, an informative glimpse at the remastering of the Firewalk With Me soundtrack, a heartfelt tribute to Catherine Coulson, the log lady, and much more. The Blue Rose is going to be on our show at the end of the month. It's really exciting. I really think people should be checking it out. They should go to Twitter, do Blue Rose 224. That's going to be the week of Twin Peaks uh, Day. And I, I think there'll be some exciting news. We'll have it on our show at the end of the month. My part of the Blue Rose stuff is pretty much done now, unless Scott wants me to write something else down the line. So I'll probably just be working on blog stuff for the next few months. And then I'm just ready to geek out with the new show, really. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your website. Tell us about what uh, you're doing. Yes, yes. Um, so, of course, you can find me at Twin Peaks Fanatic at blogspot.com. Um, I'll be continuing to recap up through the new episodes. I've got about 10 more episodes to go, and then I'll do Firewalk With Me too before the new season starts. Uh, my uh, friend is doing some original artwork for me, so I'm excited about that. So there'll probably be some new artwork that I'll be putting out with each piece that I post. You mentioned Firewalk With Me. I mean, the news is mm-hmm. that uh, Showtime will be airing Firewalk With Me on March 1st at 8 p.m., Nice. So that's cool. I mean, yeah. I know we've all seen it, but it's still kind of exciting to be on TV. Like, like uh, for for the whole uh, Twin Peaks marathon, it was exciting that it was running on TV, mm-hmm. and you had all, people on Twitter who were doing commentary, and it, it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, I'm so happy for Twin Peaks. You know, it's like, oh God, I loved this show for so long, and for all those years, nobody cared, and now <laughs> it's this, this big thing, and this, yes. it's the community part of doing this. Like, I'm sure you guys agree. That's what it's like, all about. Yeah. That's it's so fun, you know. Yeah. Just so it's like a tick over my life, <laughs> and it's really weird, but it's wonderful. Yeah, it's really exciting it. to think that like I feel like we're still not like the craze for Twin Peaks isn't even there yet. I feel like when the show comes yeah. out, you're gonna have a whole new audience. It's gonna yeah. be a whole new craze. I feel like it's gonna erupt. So it's kind of fun to be in this time right before you know, only 15 weeks before the, the calm before show. the storm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Maya. That was great to have you on the show. And and, and I was gonna be selfish and. I wasn't going to invite anybody to this show because it's like, okay, my Aww. favorite movie. My own, I want to talk about it on my own. And then I, my, I heard that you were watching it and you were going to, I think you're going to mm-hmm. talk about it on your blog soon. And it's like, well, yeah. I think about Cooper and it's like when two things happen, Simon Mateo, yes. so you got to say strict attention. And I'm like, well, maybe it's, it's meant to be. We got to get Maya on the show here. Thank you so much. Um, and you guys are always so supportive of everybody in the community. You're awesome. Oh, and you're awesome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Very appreciated. So, awesome. Thank you. The way we do the show, we oh, it always something falls in our laps where we go, we we can't ignore it. You right. know, like you know, <laughs> um, and I like having guests on for these kind of shows. I do too, but it, it was like Lost Highway. I know, I know, you were very <laughs> it's excited. It's your baby. It's my baby, right? Next week's show is gonna be a big treat. Yeah, let's talk about it. what's next week. We're gonna have the co-writer of Lost Highway on, Barry Gifford. Yes. Oh. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's so he's, awesome. But he's not he's not only going to cover uh, Lost Highway. He's going to talk about Wild at Heart, which he did the novel for. Yep. He's going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, Hotel Room, which he wrote two episodes in. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're going to have a good old time. And he's not going to talk oh. about season three of Twin Peaks. Why not? Because <laughs> he had nothing to do with it. So that should be fun. I think that would be a good show to actually have uh, the co-writer of Lost Highway yeah. come on the show yeah. and talk about it. So yeah. tune in for next week. And you can find us at, at Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Twitter. Give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. And follow us on Facebook at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Uh, we're going to hit 400 before Season 3. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us that review. Five stars. We'll end the show with a clip of Lost Highway Analysis by Film Formula on YouTube. In Fred's stream, Renee says this. And this exact line is repeated on the night of Andy's party. Fred? Fred, where are you? 
Fred is shown disappearing into the darkness, but that's only how he chooses to remember it. What really happened? In the videotape, the POV shot of the hallway followed by the red curtain mirrors Fred's POV in his dream, or at least he thinks it's a dream. Of course, the videotape shows Fred after Renee's murder, and the dream shows him just about to commit the murder. The actual act is missing, it's blacked out by Fred's mind. These three separate scenes are all referring to the same event, the murder, as it actually happened, how Fred chooses to remember it, and as a dream, which mirrors the structure of the entire film. Interestingly, reality occurs in the middle. It's a disruption, a break between subjective memory and fantasy, but also the thing that connects the two together. The blue box in Mulholland Drive carries the same role. When the memory becomes too subjective or delusional, reality breaks in until the whole thing collapses. But then reality itself is too painful, so we escape via fantasy. The mystery man, the wielder of the camera, could be symbolic of the ugly truth. After all, he is the one telling Fred that Alice is actually Renee. His exploding cabin is where Alice abandons Pete and Pete transforms back into Fred, his true form. I know he has to be invited, but let's remember the beginning of the film when Fred calls his own house to see if Renee is home. Perhaps this single act of suspicion was enough to invite a search for the truth, an invasive surveillance. Thanks again to Silencio. You can find both their albums on iTunes and Apple Music, CD Baby, Amazon, and more. Brian, Dick, Dick Laurent, Laurent is, is dead. dead.